Welcome, everybody, to This Podcast Has Autism. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Marcy. I'm one of the hosts of the show. I'm here with my husband, Bran. Today, we're going to talk about stimming. Also, I apologize if I sound um, hoarse or, or terrible this week because I'm under the weather. Um, self-stimulatory behavior, also known as stimming and self-stimulation, is the repetition of physical movements, sounds, or repetitive movement of objects common in individuals with development dis- developmental disabilities and most prevalent in people with autism spectrum disorder. Common stimming behaviors, sometimes called stims, include hand flapping, rocking, excessive or hard blinking, pacing, head banging, repeating noises or words, snapping fingers, and spinning objects. Um, I know our son does a lot of stims. He holds his hands into fists. Um, his thumbs are tucked in. Yeah, with his thumbs tucked into his, his other fingers. And um, I believe that's a stim. And then he also does vocal stimming. He um, hums like in inopportune times like when he pees and <laughs> yeah when uh sometimes watching tv yeah he'll just make all kinds of noises like when it's intense yeah and some of the stims i do is uh i rock back and forth sometimes and i i pace back and forth as well and um let's see what else that uh, i tap my foot that drives my wife nuts, she, especially when we're in bed. Uh, <laughs> it shakes the whole bed. <laughs> uh, what 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 are some other ones? Um, I know I'm not autistic, but I used to smell my blanket. I have this one corner of my of a baby blanket that I used to smell all the time, and I wonder if that's kind of a stim. Oh yeah, I have this blanket that has like this silk trim that I I like to play with. And I fidget with my fingers all the time. Um, yeah. I like to I like to smell my wife a lot. I I don't know. It just it soothes me. <laughs> it's it's so, yeah, those che- are cheesy. Those are some of our stims. Um, what are yours? I know that they don't always have to be hand flapping or rocking. Um, but those are probably the more common ones. But yeah, we'd like to hear some of yours. Um, Give us a shout out on social media. Let us know what your stims are. All right. And with that, let's listen to the interview. Hey, everybody. Today we have Renee with us. She's an author. And I'm going to turn the time over to her to tell us a little bit about herself. Hi. Um, I'm Renee Warner-Lutz. I'm the author of the Winokur-Wallace series um, from Abdo. And uh, I've got three kids, uh, Madeline, who is six years old, Simon, who is five years old, and Cecily, who is two years old. Um, and Simon is autistic. How, how old was your son when he was diagnosed with autism? He was three. He had just turned um, three years old, I think about a week before we got his diagnosis. Oh, okay. And, and what signs did you notice that made you think he was different? Well, um, so in retrospect, probably a lot more than (laughs) when we actually um, took him in um, to be evaluated by an OT. Um, 
when he was a baby, we introduced him to food at about six months old, and he gagged a lot. And that went on for a couple months. And I remember bringing him to his pediatrician, and she said, if that's going to continue, that we should probably um, get him to see an OT or um, get him in for feeding therapy. Um, but pretty quickly, he like got the hang of eating, and we just never thought about it again until he was diagnosed. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that probably had something to do with it. Um, when he was, gosh, probably about a year old, um, he showed us that he was so interested in letters and numbers. Um, he used to take the letter magnets off of our fridge, and he would run them over to us. And let's say he was holding the letter P, he would say Q, and I'd say, no, that one's a P. And he'd say P, and he'd put it back on the fridge. And after about a month of doing that, he knew all of his letters by, um, certainly by 18 months. I think it was a little bit earlier than that, which is pretty cool. Um, but then um, I took him to a preschool that was like a cooperative preschool uh, when he was two years old. Um, and I remember trying to sit with him during circle time, and it seemed like all the other kids could sit in a circle and listen to music. And Simon just really wanted to run down the hallway, like back and forth. He did not want to sit there. Um, and after about two weeks of that, I mentioned to the director of the program, I was like, is it at all possible <laughs> that um, this is maybe autism? And the reason that I kind of knew was because my nephew is also autistic, and he had been diagnosed a couple years before that. So I knew um, we definitely have it in our family, and I thought – um, that could be a sign. And she said, well, I'm not really getting autism, but I definitely think he has some sensory issues, so why don't you um, bring him to an OT? So we did, and it was at the um, OT's evaluation that she said, yeah, I would get him uh, evaluated for autism as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so how many books have you written? Um, I've written four books, uh, well, four books that are published. Um, and I'm working on my fifth one right now. Oh, amazing. Uh, do you do you plan on writing more? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably, I, I would imagine that this is, um, the end of the Winnegar series, probably books one through four are it. Although if, um, Abdo said, Hey, we'd love you to write more, I would totally do it. But <laughs> for now, um, I'm writing, Another potential series, um, possibly a standalone book, about a girl um, named Maggie Chowder, whose brother was diagnosed with autism. Oh, nice. Thanks. Uh, how hard was it to have a baby all while your deadline was approaching for your book? Um, that was like the hardest time of my life. <laughs> oh. um, 2016 was... Like, I don't know. It was such a mess. So I, I had Cecily in June, um, and I think it had been less than a week um, after I had her that I got a phone call from the woman who is now my agent um, asking if I was interested in signing with her. And, of course, I was, and I didn't want her to think I couldn't handle it. So when she was like, um, I'd like to give this a shot and um, – get you to do this huge revision of your, uh, at this point it was my first book, Winnegar Hates Paris. Um, I want you to do a big revision so we can go out on submission. And I didn't want to say like, well, we just had a baby. So I was like, I can do it. Sure. No problem. Um, and that was stressful. And then a couple months later, um, 
all of the stuff started happening with Simon where we realized we needed to have him evaluated. Um, first it was for OT, then for speech therapy, and then it was his autism evaluation. Um, and at this point, we just were not getting any sleep because Cecily was a newborn, and she just, I think she was probably my worst sleeper as a baby. Um, and then Simon all of a sudden stopped sleeping. Um, he would wake up at midnight and then just be up for the day. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, it was tricky, yeah. <laughs> but I got it done. When, when I, I signed with my publisher, um, they wanted three more books, so they wanted a series of four. And I was like, yeah, I can do that, no problem. And they said, great, um, they're all going to be due by June of 2017, <laughs> which gave me very little time. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's no problem. So there were definitely nights where I remember like crying because I was so exhausted and I was like, there's no way I'm going to finish these, but I, I did. It happened. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, What would you tell yourself now looking back on 2016? Um, oh man, I, well, first, I think I would say, like, <laughs> just calm down. Like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> um, and you've got this, and you're going to finish on time. And that was, like, such a concern because I thought this is my first um, book contract. If I don't fulfill the contract, I'm never going to get another one. Um, and then, secondly, I would tell myself that, like, Simon's fine, too. And I think um, it's, it's always a little bit scary when you get any kind of a diagnosis. Um, but with this one... I, I kind of knew, like, I knew not to be freaked out by it because I knew my nephew was just, like, the cutest, <laughs> coolest little guy. Um, so I'm I'm lucky that I had um, him to look to and think, like, well, this is obviously fine. Um, but I went home right after we got Simon's diagnosis, and I, I Googled something like, um, son diagnosed with autism, don't panic, because I needed like something to exist on the internet that would tell me it's fine. And there was, um, there's an autistic advocate named Nick Walker who has a video literally called, uh, your son has autism. Don't panic. And it was so helpful. I, it's like a 10 minute video. I watched the whole thing and just felt so much better. Um, and it kind of got me into this, like, I don't know, uh, loop of watching these different, videos by autistic advocates like um amethyst shaver is one of them and then there's um agony audie i know her real name is sarah but i don't know her last name and these fantastic people um have like provided these free videos that kind of explain stimming and they explain various therapies and um they just make it a lot easier not to panic <laughs> because you realize like oh they're fine like this is fine there's a reason for um, various behaviors. I think probably the most important thing I learned um, is that behavior is always communication. So um, my son's not screaming because he's autistic. <laughs> he's screaming because he needs a way to tell me that he's uncomfortable with something. Um, and that was really helpful. Um, I would recommend that to, to myself two years ago or to really anyone. Uh, who inspires you to write? Um, really, I think everything in my life kind of inspires me to write. Um, when I, certainly the book I'm working on now, um, having Simon inspired me to write and, and how, um, his therapies may or may not affect his sisters and how, 
we all kind of, I think at one point had this feeling of like, we need to, to help him and fix this. And then after a while, you kind of realize, no, we don't. He's actually like doing really well and he can kind of handle his own life. <laughs> um, we're here for support, but we don't need to um, hover over Simon and worry about every little thing. Like he's just, he's doing great. Um, with the Winnaker books, I started the first one when I was in grad school, um, which is a really long time ago, like seven years, eight years. Um, and I was living in Minnesota. I'm from Massachusetts and I got kind of homesick when I was living out there. Um, I didn't know anybody when I moved out there. I met my, uh, boyfriend who then became my husband, um, pretty soon after, but I still felt, um, homesick for Massachusetts and, New England in general, and so I, I would say things like, "Oh, I just kind of wish that um, we could go back for Christmas this year," or "I just wish I could hang out with my niece because I haven't seen her and she's growing up." And everybody around me would say, "But Minnesota is the greatest place! Like it's got all this great stuff." Um, and it's true, like Minnesota is fantastic, but it's hard when you're already feeling um, kind of lonely and kind of homesick to have everybody around you telling you why you shouldn't feel that way. Um, and so I sort of invented Winnaker, who moved to Paris with her family, um, also from Massachusetts, and she hates it there. <laughs> and everybody's always telling her, like, Paris is the greatest city in the world. Like, you can't hate it. But she does, and she's homesick. Um, and so I think I, I have a lot of big feelings, and it's hard when people tell you not to or tell you to, like, you know, well, you shouldn't have that feeling for this reason. Um, it's actually okay to just have your feelings. Um, and so I think that's what I was trying to do um, with the Winnaker books. What, what are your uh, books about? Um, so the first one is about, it's called Winnaker Hates Paris, and it's about a 10-year-old girl who um, her mom gets a promotion, uh, and so her whole family moves to Paris. And she has a lot of uh, trouble there. Like she, everything is, is so different to her. Um, she's living in an apartment instead of her house. Her best friend doesn't live there. And it's about her sort of growing to also love Paris, um, working through her feelings and making new friends. And then the second book is called Winnaker and the Baby Wait. And her mom is going to have a baby and Winnaker is not happy about it. <laughs> um, and at the end of the book, of course, she, she comes around. Um, the third book is called Winnaker and the Christmas Visit, where her best friend from Massachusetts comes to visit her, but um, it's different than what Winnaker wanted it to be. She sort of had like a vision of how Christmas would be with her best friend, and her best friend is like, let's do all kinds of cool Paris stuff. Like, I'm in Paris for the first time, and Winnaker is like, no, I really wanted to do some like old-fashioned Massachusetts Christmas things. Um, and of course, they work out. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last book is uh, Winnaker and the American Boy. Um, Winnaker's teacher is from Minnesota, and her nephew comes to live with her. And so Winnaker's excited because there's another American in her class, uh, but he turns out not to be very nice. And so this book is about how um, sometimes our perceptions are, are different than um, reality, and also if somebody is doing something uh, to hurt other people, like you need to tell somebody. How hard is it to manage parenting and plus be a writer? It's really tricky. Um, my, I got really lucky.
lucky with my husband who, um, if I say, like, I need to go out on a Saturday and write at a Starbucks for four hours, he's like, yeah, go ahead. I'll watch the kids. Um, so I'm able to meet deadlines that way. Like, if I need to finish up something that's, like, on a deadline, I can um, leave the kids with him and just go handle it in, like, a quieter <laughs> place. Um, in general, it really comes down to discipline, which I just don't have a lot of. And I, it's, like, a constant struggle. Like, there are some nights where I'm like, okay, I really want to get this draft to my agent. Um, so I should work on that now after the kids go to bed. But I'm also exhausted because it's been a really long day with three kids under seven. And I'd like to watch like Real Housewives of Atlanta and not think about things. <laughs> um, so, it's a, I mean, it's a balance. I think I need some nights off and I need to work sometimes. Um, so I think everything takes a little bit longer than it would if I didn't have three kids. But it's manageable. What's uh, one thing you wish people could learn about your son and his autism diagnosis? Um, gosh, that's a good question. He is just like the funniest, sweetest kid. Um, I, I he's so smart. Um, I guess I would say I wish that they would um, understand stimming. I think that's a big thing. Um, Simon is a vocal stimmer, so like he definitely will just make a lot of weird noises and in an environment where people aren't used to it or don't know what stimming is or maybe don't have like friends or family with autism, um, they might be like, what is happening here? And so I guess I wish um, people had better education about um, the importance of stimming. For Simon, he's such a sensory seeker. So like he likes really loud noises and he likes um, big hugs and um, all kinds of things like that. So like he'll make loud noises because he enjoys them. Whereas some other kids are like, hey, like, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, I wish I wish people would just kind of be okay with other people doing things that they don't understand. Um, I think hand flapping is like the, um, the most common one that everyone talks about. Simon's not really um, a hand flapper so much, but I'm hoping that because people are sort of growing in awareness of um, sometimes kids just flap their hands and it's expressed happiness or that they're uncomfortable or whatever um i guess my hope is that that will kind of cross lines into other kinds of stimming whether it's like kids who like to make noises because that's how they express themselves or um you know visual uh stimmers who like to look at really sparkly things like none of these things are weird they're just people expressing themselves yeah my my son he uh he makes uh noises too all the time and that's how he yeah. stands. And it, it drives me nuts sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I I always, I hate hearing when, I, when I've heard other parents say things like quiet hands. I'm like, that's terrible. Like, let your kid express himself. But then I also have to kind of check myself because sometimes Simon gets really loud and I need to be like, okay, pal. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's like lower the volume just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Would you ever consider writing a book about autism? Well, I guess you already mentioned mentioned about uh, your next series is going to be with autism. Yeah, um, and my hope is to do it right. I feel like um, so often, like a lot of books are written by neurotypical people about autistic people, and like they just don't always get it right, <laughs> and then you run into all kinds of um, 
problems. Like right now there's that whole situation with the um, play in, I think it's in England, um, where they've decided to represent an autistic child by using a puppet, which is such a bad idea, and I don't understand why nobody told them that. Um, basically, you want to get it right. So, um, yes, I feel like writing about a child who is neurotypical but who is experiencing um, her brother's diagnosis, and I, I feel like I am able to do that because that's, like, our home life. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do feel like, um, I, I doubt that I would ever write like a nonfiction book about it, um, because there are so many like mommy memoirs out there about like, well, this is my child and he's autistic and my life is very hard. And like, sometimes it is. Um, but I also can see how much hurt those, those memoirs cause a lot of people. Um, and I, I follow a lot of groups, um, of like autistic advocates and like, it's, it's hurtful every single time one of these books comes out and they're like, oh, I guess we were impossible to live with as a kid. And I would just, um, I would not want to, to be in that position. No, that's understandable. But yeah, I totally, I would love to include um, autistic characters. Um, and I mean, I think the whole writing community now is like making a lot of steps toward being inclusive in their um, cast of characters. And I think finally we're kind of getting into neurodiversity um, as well, which I think is fabulous. So that is something that I would I would like to do. Uh, have you ever found any autism groups you belong to that have helped support you? Yeah, um, I live right outside Seattle, so I'm a part of the uh, Autism Moms of Seattle, and it's like a really great group where you kind of get a lot of information. Um, and you have a lot of different opinions and personalities in there, which I think kind of helps you to make more informed decisions. Um, if you're only listening to your child's, like, neurologist who diagnosed him, she would say, like, oh, I get that child 60 hours of this various kinds of therapy. And, um, and you panic at first because you're like, well, obviously you know what you're talking about because you're the neurologist and I'm not. Um, but once you kind of find a group with lots of other moms, um, and other families who have already been through it or are at different stages of it, you can kind of make a more educated decision about your kid. Um, like, well, we actually don't have to do that therapy. We can do these other therapies and um, try this thing that worked for this woman. And I don't know, it kind of opens doors for you. Do you have any tips or advice for parents of kids with uh, on the spectrum? Um, yeah, I mean gonna be okay <laughs> I think that's the big one and uh, I think most importantly um okay might not look like what you think it looks like like I think we all have kids that have like a really specific vision of uh what our lives and their lives are going to be like and it's frankly not going to be like that for anybody whether you've only got neurotypical children or um you've got autistic kids it's going to be different because you're literally giving birth to a human who has like their own stuff, their own agenda, their own personality, um, and just kind of be okay with that. I have to remind myself of that all the time. Like, um, probably about once a month, I start to, like, panic for a minute, and I'm like, okay, so what's going to happen with Simon when we get to this age? Or, like, what if he still has to live with us when he's this age? And then you have to, like, take a minute and think, like, well, first of all, he's five years old, <laughs> and second of all, um, that's okay. Like, whatever happens is going to be fine.
Well, we appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Now for some announcements. Uh, we'd like to give a shout out to Ed and Becca Regan for their love and support. And next week we will listen to Jonathan. He is a 10-year-old um, boy who has autism and he does taekwondo. And we look forward to that interview. And that's it for this episode. Until next time. <laughs>